All right, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I've been out of here for two weeks having Mark withdrawals. Uh, just to give you a kind of a, a quick recap, Jesus has just finished this round of parables as he is uh, explaining the kingdom of God. And, um, and, they're, and they're powerful. They're just so powerful. But he's having to resort to these parables because these guys are, are not... Um, that people have become very hostile, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's trying to speak to them in ways that are a little more cryptic, right? And, and those who are believers, they are the ones who are going to be able to pick up these things. And even at that, they're not going to get them to their full extent. So now what we find after these parables is Mark begins these four stories. It's like a series within the series. And, and it's going to happen over three weeks. We're going to see the Markin sandwich at the end of it. Uh, but what we see is this sovereignty, this power of Jesus. And what does that mean to us? I mean, probably those in here, most of you, you've, you've heard these stories many times. But we are to see them with certain eyes. And Mark is trying to get us to understand what these things are all about as well. And there's, there's really three themes that are going to come out of this, uh, the four stories. One is death. Today we're going to see uh, these guys, they believe they're going to die. Next week we're going to see this guy who's living among the dead. And we're going to see a, a, you know, a herd of, of pigs, they're going to plummet to their death. Then we're going to see a woman who's dying, and we're going to see a girl who does die. And... and but what we find in all of this is that Jesus, Jesus is the power over death. It doesn't matter what the threat is. Jesus is the solution to death. The other thing is desperation. We just find this desperation in all four stories. We're going to see desperation on the sea. Desperate sailors out at sea. We're going to see uh, a man who is desperate, who is who is filled with this legion of demons. We're going to see a woman who's been sick for 12 years. We're going to see a father who, whose daughter, little girl, is dying. And we just see this desperation. And, and here's the great thing about the desperation is that it's the desperate who are the ones who see Jesus. They're the ones who, who understand and feel the power of God. And it's, it's beautiful. The other thing is fear and faith. There's fear that runs all through. And, and you may think the fear comes from the desperation. You're going to find out even today that fear comes from even the power of God itself. Uh, and, and so, but the whole point is to try to push people, to bring them to this faith. That's what Jesus is trying to do. So let's get started. Somebody read for us verses 35 and 36 of chapter 4. All right, so the disciples, they leave for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember, they've been up here in this Capernaum area. We're going to find out next week they're kind of going in this direction. Um, but, but they're leaving, and they're leaving behind who? The crowds. How does Mark depict the crowds? They're apathetic. We never find them coming in faith and repentance. They're interested in what Jesus can do, 
but they're never really interested in who Jesus is. And, and so they, they're always, uh, they're like an obstacle to get to Jesus a lot of times, and, and they're doubtful. So here we read about these other boats. Did you catch that in the text? It's not just Jesus and the 12 that go across. It's these Jesus and these other boats. So this tells us it's more than the 12. And, and what Mark is, is showing for us, he's, he's showing, showing us that the people in the boats are the people who have gotten off the shore. These are the people who are following Jesus. These are the people who have left the crowds behind. Uh, so it's very important. Now, we're going to find out that they're, they're not perfect. They're not perfect followers, none of them. But this is kind of the idea. Now, let's talk about this boat for just a second. A second. In 1986, this boat, back behind me, it was a, it's a fishing boat that was found five miles offshore in the Sea of Galilee off, of the, off the coast of Capernaum. It was the first of its kind to have, have been found, and it gives us insight into the type of boats back in that day and time. Carbon-14 dating, it just dates back between 120 B.C. and uh, 40 A.D., so this is in the time of Christ. It, it was, there were like four oars uh, on these things, and, and it had a capacity of about 15 people. Okay, so I want you to get this idea of what they're in before what happens happens. Okay, so they're in this this boat, um, and and the ones that are in this boat with Jesus, you've got some some fishermen, right? Where did they fish? Sea of Galilee. Uh, they understood what it was like to be out there in these boats. They were seasoned fishermen. They were seasoned sailors. So that's important as we move on to the next uh, verse as well. All right, somebody read for us verse 37. Okay, I want to talk about this storm for just a moment. Because, you know, you may be thinking, well, for, for these sailors, why, you know, it's a big lake, okay? So why, are they, why don't they just kind of, <laughs> why don't they just go to shore? I mean, we, we can't, we, they see some clouds coming, what's the deal? The problem is the geography. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Okay? So this is like a, the storm magnet because all along it's surrounded by these, these areas that rise up, especially on the east side, the Golan Heights. I mean, it's, it's going well above sea level, all the way 30 miles up here to Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon often had snow caps. It's not uncommon for it to have snow on it. It's 9,200 feet above sea level. Now, you don't have to be a meteorologist to understand what happens when this extreme cold air meets with this extreme warm air coming up, right? It's going to be storms. And, and that's not the only kind of storm that can be generated. This can come off of the Mediterranean Sea, these cool air, and it comes down into this bowl of, of the Sea of Galilee and those warm uh, temperatures that are rising. And so this thing is just like, it's like a storm magnet. So you can get caught in these storms, and it happens suddenly. And they are violent. In fact, the word, it just simply says they were caught in a windstorm. And we read that and we think, okay, a windstorm. Uh, but we need to understand it's sudden, it's, it's violent gust of winds. 
And to put it in a perspective we understand, this is the same word that they use for hurricane. <laughs> All right, now that speaks to us, right? So imagine you are in a 27-foot boat by 8-foot wide, and you're out in hurricane force winds, or let's just say tropical storm winds. All right, we won't even go hurricane here. How, that's rough waters. That's rough waters. And, and even today with our motors and, and things of that sort, do we not hear people who get caught in a storm out here? And then, you know, they're lost at sea. They, they died. They drowned. All of these kind of things. They capsize. So we get that. So imagine being in this little wooden boat that's powered by four oars. So I want you to kind of get a grasp of this because sometimes it's hard for us to really understand um, what's happening. So... Mark actually is drawing us back um, to an Old Testament narrative. Now I want you to think for a second. What Old Testament narrative was there a storm, a violent storm at sea? In a boat. Jonah. Ah, wish I had a moon pie to give you. That's good. Uh, so here we have Jonah. And so we have this violent storm. This is not going to be the only correlation to Jonah chapter 1. As we keep going, we're just going to keep adding things. It's amazing when you see what's being drawn off of this uh, as well. But right now, I kind of want you to just get that idea. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Does that sound a little familiar, what's happening in Mark chapter 1. Okay, so let's keep going. Somebody read for us verse 38. Who is Jesus in the boat with? I got to think it's, it's his 12 disciples, you know, maybe even one or two more. It can hold up to like 15 people in this boat. But let's just say he's in there with them. And as we've already mentioned, some of these guys are seasoned sailors. They're in the midst of this storm. And they come and wake up Jesus. Now, what had Jesus done for a trade his whole life? He's a carpenter. So if you're in a storm, follow me here. If you're in a very bad storm, do you say, man, I wish I had a carpenter? You know? And, and I, know, I know we're very tempted to think, well, it's because he's Jesus. He's God. But later on, when we see what Jesus does and their reaction to it, they were not expecting that at all. Uh, far from expecting what's happening here. So ironically, they're terrified. What's Jesus doing? <laughs> Jesus is sleeping. Right? He's wiped out. You just have no idea what us ministers go through when we, we have to deal with a bunch of hard-headed people. You know, it, it just wipes us out. I'll go home today and I'll take a nap. I'm going to tell you. Um, so what we find is, and, and Mark is really doing this, we see this, this comparison. There is this peaceful sleep of Jesus in the storm. And we find the panic of the disciples in the storm. And us being human, 
and us thinking in terms of being in a, a little boat on the Sea of Galilee, or let's just say Lake Okeechobee during a hurricane, uh, you know, we get the panic in a time of storm. We're not thinking, you know, it'd be a great time to just cast off and take a nap. But, but we're seeing this correlation, and the correlation that we find in Scripture is that sleep was a symbol, especially during difficult times, sleep was a symbol of trust. It's, it's trusting God. I'll give you an example. Psalm chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. And then what, what it says, for you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. So when he's sleeping, it's not a matter of, you know, I felt like everything was fine. It's I trusted you. It's I trusted you. Now, the only time, get this, the only time we learn in all the Gospels that Jesus slept is right here. You think that's significant? I think so. The only time we learn that Jesus slept, and it wasn't that he didn't sleep other times, but the one time that it mentions that he slept was during the time of a storm. But do the disciples see Jesus sleeping as this wonderful comfort of him being at peace and, and trusting in the Father? Is that how they see it? <laughs> how do they see it? Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's like, Jesus, it's like you don't even care. Okay, now look, if I'm asleep... It's not that I don't care about people at the time. I'm tired. And, and if I'm not awake, it's because I hadn't been awakened. <laughs> you know, and it's like they're blaming Jesus in some sense for this storm. And it's just, and again, it's like he's somehow responsible. Now we're going to find irony later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, aren't we? Because at that point, Jesus is trying to get them to stop sleeping and to stay awake. Do they do a good job of it? No, they don't do a good job of it. Yes, now, one, one question, I think this is a big part of these four stories, is what miracles have they seen so far? I don't think they've seen the raising of the dead yet. I think what they have seen, in fact, when we get through with the, with the four stories, not all of the disciples or even the apostles are going to see the raising of the dead. There's just going to be a handful. Um, but there's something that's bigger happening that they, they just are not seeing. And we'll talk about why that's such a big deal here in just, uh, just a, min a minute. Again, we know he is powerful, but even they're not prepared for what is about to happen, are they? And, and it just shows us, and, we're, and, and this is hard for us to get because, you know, we read the Gospels and we read them several times and we know that, you know, we, these apostles and all of this kind of thing, and they're the ones with him. They're the ones that went across, you know, the Sea of Galilee with him and everything else. But they don't know who he is. They really don't know who Jesus is yet. They believe he's from God, no doubt about that. But they do not know who he is. Now, once again, we see the story of Jonah. How do we see the story of Jonah? Yeah, there's the storm, but what about the mariners? Yeah, they were afraid. Um, yeah. So Jonah was asleep in the storm, right? 
Isn't that interesting? See any correlations with Mark yet? Um, so Jonah, was he a, a sailor? No, he wasn't a sailor either. But the captain comes and wakes him up. Yeah, he wants him to call on his God. And I, and I think uh, what we also see is he's re being rebuked. He rebukes Jonah for sleeping. Just like Jesus is rebuked. Why are you asleep? And this, this correlation may be a way, and I'm not, you know, fully convinced here, but it may be a way of saying the reason they're wanting Jesus up is the same reason they had wanted Jonah to get up so that they could, he could call out to God. He could call out. The problem is, what? They're not seeing Jesus as God. They're not seeing Jesus as God. He's powerful. He's the one they go to. That was a good thing. But they just don't see Jesus as God yet. And, and it's, again, it's just a, it's a pretty amazing thing. All right, so let's go to verse 39. Wow. The sovereignty of God. Uh, I mean, it's like, okay, here's the question. Who does this? Who, who, can, who can speak to the, the waters and they stop raging? Who does this? God does this. In fact, at the outset of creation, the earth was covered in water and darkness. Now, a lot of times, again, when we read through such as the creation account, we just read a story. We just read, okay, and, and our in our world and, and everything, we just think of, okay, and we argue this and we fight it and everything else. The, you know, the world is created in six days, on the seventh day rested, and we think that's the point. And, and while that's a wonderful point, that's not the point. Because the waters, the face of the deep, if you look that word up, it is chaotic, primeval, destructive waters. It was in darkness, and it was in this chaotic waters. It was a very frightening place. What happened, think, think for a second, what happened on the third day of creation? Say that. He separated the waters from the land, and, and the mountains came up from... In other words, what's happening is he is making the earth livable. He's taking these chaotic waters. Okay, this is so important. If you want to understand scripture, this, this has helped me as much as anything else, and it just brings such power. God controls the chaotic waters. He makes it livable for creation. That's what's happening in that particular text. And the God of Israel is the one who is given credit. God is the one who brings order. And this is what this is all teaching. He brings order out of chaos. Now, you may say, well, that, that just sounds like a stretch. Listen, 
if you've been reading your Old Testaments, you've seen this analogy. If you've been reading the Psalms, folks, it is all over the Psalms. And we'll talk about that as well. But we see that it is God who brings order and, uh, from disorder. He's the one that makes it livable in the times of chaos. And, and listen, okay, so let's look at the Psalms. The one who by his strength, and by the way, these two Psalms that I'm going to show you here, these are Psalms about creation, the creation of the world. Listen to the way the psalmist describes it. He's letting us in on, this is not just a story about how the world began. He says, the one who by his strength established the mountains, remember the mountains came up, being girded with might, you still, listen to that language, you still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. You hear that? Chaotic waters. He brings order. Psalm 104, he says, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. This is, this is before the third day. At your rebuke. Okay, hear that word? At your rebuke they fled as the sound of your thunder um, they took flight. Okay. So it's not just, okay, God created the world and, and then, you know, the mountains came up. It says that he rebuked the waters. Does this word rebuke, does it make you think of anything of rebuking the waters? What did we just read in Mark? He rebuked the wind and he says to the seas, be still. The word rebuke, same word, the exact same word Jesus used in rebuking evil spirits. Wow. Think about that. The same word that's used of, of these evil, he's rebuking it. And, and he says to be still. And if we put that in one word, it would mean to muzzle. Right? It means to muzzle. And what does Jesus do with these demons? He muzzles them. He doesn't let them spew their, their, their language. He doesn't let them spew the, in, in their, um, the things that they say. And here we see this with the waters. And so what we find here is this, and I think we're, we're okay with, okay, this harsh language. Jesus is rebuking, you know, demons. But I think we, in our culture, we have a struggle with saying God rebuked nature. Uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with our culture compared to their culture, but it's how they saw the waters. And not just waters, but the raging waters. And that they had to be rebuked. So the wind and the waters symbolize these hostile forces and um, over which God prevails. He prevails over the chaotic waters. All right, I'm trying to get you into a little bit of this. Now, let me show you something else. This is the uh, ancient Near Eastern imagery. Mountains, and we talk about these mountains. The mountains symbolize these pillars. This is how they, the ancients saw this. The Jews saw this uh, as the mountains. They were like these pillars, and they kept them above the raging the chaotic waters, okay? And that God is the one who stilled the, store, uh, the roaring of the waters. Again, get into this mindset. 
Jesus rebuked the storm. And what did it do? It obeyed him. It obeyed him. He delivered the disciples out of chaos. He delivers them out of destruction and death. This is intended to show us that Jesus does what only the creator of all things, the creator of the world, is able to do. To control chaotic waters. Okay? That's huge. In Daniel 7, you remember Daniel 7? We talked about the Son of Man and we talked about um, these mutant beasts. And, and it, it goes on. It tells us these mutant beasts, they, these are um, these raging, chaotic uh, nations of fury. But one of the ways that it's described there is that they, these mutant beasts, these nations, come out of what? They come out of the sea. You hear the language. You see the language here. Now back to the psalm, Psalm 89. Oh man, it's a beautiful psalm. It is a, a royal prayer psalm. And it, it speaks of Yahweh as being the creator God. He is the one who is the king. He is the king of the cosmos. And he's that way because um, he established the heavens in verses 5 through 8. And then in verses 9 through 12, it shows that he established the, the waters and the earth. And so he says in verse 9 there, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, what happens? You steal them. Only the king of the cosmos can still the chaotic waters. Do you see what this is intended to show us? It's not just that Jesus saved them from a storm. It's to show us that Jesus is God. That he's the creator. That he is the king of the universe. And, and, and that's why, folks, look, folks, this was a sign. It was a sign that he's doing these things. It's a sign that he's God. And uh, so Jesus just finished the, giving these parables about the kingdom of God and breaking in, and now the king of the cosmos, he, he calms the chaotic waters. What other narrative do you think would have come to mind besides Jonah and calming or taking control of the waters? Yeah, the Red Sea. Right? Remember that story? Listen, that story, it just continues to come up over and over and over and over again throughout scripture in the New Testament and the Old Testament because it's huge because God he divided the sea they were the Egyptian army they're ready to slaughter them they're they're on their way there's there's this Red Sea that's in their way they can't cross it God just divides it 
he's the one who controls the waters. He controls a mighty mass of waters like the Red Sea. In Psalm 106, he alludes, alludes to it. Listen, he says, he rebuked, oh, there's that word again. What does he rebuke? The Red Sea. And he dried it up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the adversary. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Do you see this? He's rebuking the Red Sea to save them. What is Jesus doing in Mark chapter 4? He rebukes the sea. He rebukes the storm to save them. He's, he's doing what God does. What only God can do. So Jesus is rescuing um, them from these chaotic seas and the king and the kingdom is breaking in. Folks, this is so huge. But now let's not forget about Jonah for a second because just like in our story, the mariners were afraid. Right? And something else happened there. What else? God calmed the storm. A little different. They had to throw Jonah in. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Jonah chapter 1 to Mark chapter 4. It's just amazing. We're, we're intended to see something here, folks. All right, let's keep going. Um, let me get, let's see. Yeah, that's where he ceases the raging. All right, somebody read verses 40 through 41 of our text. All right. Jesus, creator, king of the universe, God, he controls the chaotic waters. He's there in their midst. He saves them. And they just bow down and they worship him and they say, you are God. What does it say? They're afraid. And that word fear is not the good kind of fear. Um, it means cowardly. You know, it's like cholesterol. There's a good kind of cholesterol and there's a bad kind of cholesterol. There's a good kind of fear and there's a bad kind of fear. This was not godly fear. They are scared to death of Jesus. And it's like, I, it's like I don't get it. And, and we expect this of the mariners, right? They're pagans. But in the end, in verse 16, it says that when, when the storm was ceased, that they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Was anybody making sacrifice to Jesus? They're scared of Jesus. The nearness of God was not something that was reassuring to them. It was actually very unsettling. And, and a lot of times in our world we hear people, I want to see a miracle. I want to see the power of God. You better be careful what you ask for. Because sometimes there's a power that, that comes that you just don't understand, that you just cannot get. So they had seen Jesus' power to heal, right? We talked about this. They'd seen his ability to cast out demons. But what Jesus does here, folks, they'd never seen anything like this. No one had ever even tried to do something like this. 
and they are in all, which is where they need to be, but they still have no idea who this man is in their boat. They're following him, but they're like, they're like he's, he looks like us, and he's acting like God. Now, it did produce a question. What was the question? Who is this? Who is this? And it draws us back to the Red Sea, believe it or not. Because when they're delivered out of the Red Sea, it says Israel saw the great power of Yahweh used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. But notice, they believed in the Lord. Now, there's a difference in what happened at the Red Sea and what's happening on the Sea of Galilee right now. Because they're not, they haven't quite yet believed that Jesus is God. Yeah, just, just the absolute power of God. And it, and it makes you wonder with these disciples, I mean, we see this at the Red Sea, but will, will they ever get to the point that they believe this way? Will they be able to say as the psalmist, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. And among the things that he says they will not fear, what does he say? Though the waters roar and foam, right? I think the better question for us is, can we ever believe like this? That when the storms rage, when there's chaos in our lives, when we have fear, can we also believe God is our refuge and our strength? Can we believe that he will not fear? The stilling of the storm, I think it helps the disciples in their journey to the truth. Um, they're still struggling to put it all together, but this miracle, it reveals that God's reign, uh, God reigns in our world of chaos. And so the Messiah, he restores God's dominion over the chaotic world that has been invaded by evil. And they've been waiting for this to happen. And the one has finally come. Now Mark takes us through Isaiah 43. I want you to turn there to Isaiah 43. We've actually talked about this before uh, a couple of weeks ago. But Mark has taken us right into um, chapter 43 of Isaiah. I want to show you um, how he does this. One is, verse 1, he says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob... He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Do you remember when we, we talked about that, when he, he called and created the apostles uh, back in chapter 3? Look at verse 2. He says, when you pass through the waters, he says, I will be with you. Just saw that, right? Verse 3 says, for I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, your, your, uh, your Savior, I give Egypt as your ransom. We're going to find in, when we get to chapter 10, Jesus is going to use that same verbiage of being that, that ransom. Look at verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I loved you, I gave... Um, wait, I think it's for... No, verse 5 is where I want to be. He says, fear not, 
He rebukes them for their fear. He just rebuked them for their fear. He will rebuke them in chapter 6. He's going to rebuke them in chapter 7. You just, you just see this, um, this language over and over again. And then verse 8, he says, Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes who are deaf and have ears. We see this same verbiage throughout the book of Mark. But the one I really want us to see is verse 10. 10 and 11, and he says, you are my witnesses. He says all of this to say, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor was there any other after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Listen, all of this is happening so that he will know that it is he. That he is God, that he is creator, that he is the king, that he is the one who can, can overcome the chaotic waters. He does what no one else can do, and he stands there in the boat with you. It's, it's just so powerful. Um, in Revelation 1, Jesus describes the Son of Man, the, Jesus as the Son of Man. Remember the Son of Man? We talked about that back in, in uh, Daniel chapter 7. This whole language is there in chapter 1 as it describes Jesus. And it's so powerful. And he, and he describes him as the Ancient of Days. That language is all, all that is there. And it says that here is the Son of God, the Ancient of Days, and he stands in the midst of the churches. That's the lampstands. It's, he's there, there in the midst. Now, it did not mean that they would no longer have trials. It didn't mean they would no longer have difficulties. In fact, the book of Revelation guarantees they will. But the whole book, the whole theme of the book is this. It's victory in Jesus. That's it. It's victory in Jesus. And when we come and he says he's going to destroy the beast, remember all that crazy language that we find there, which we think is crazy, but then if we read the Old Testament, we realize, oh, yeah, that's the same stuff over here. But do you realize one of the beasts he's going to kill is one that came right up out of the sea? And that when there comes this new heaven and a new earth, and the, the destruction of the old heaven and the, new, and the old earth, it says the sea will be no more. What does that mean? It means chaos and evil and death and destruction and all of those things, they will be no more. Let's pray as we close. Father, we come to you this day and we just thank you for your, for your love and your guidance. We thank you for your power. Father, help us to trust in you even more. Help us to put our faith in you that, that, that you are here, that you are in our midst, that you are even within us, Father, as your people. Father, help us to see your son as God. Help us to understand what, what is being shown here, right here in this text. Father, help it become more than a powerful story. Help it to become a powerful principle for our lives. And Father, we just ask you to be with us in our time of worship. Amen.